Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. That that just destroys me in the best way. Like the I mean just that idea that that one day like my eyes will see what my heart has only even dreamed of and he'll be better than that. And I'll stand before him and just I, I feel like that's all I'll be able to say. I thought I knew. I had no idea. I had a vision one time. I shared it a few times, but for, for anybody that's new or hadn't heard it, I was in this big city scene, and I was walking, and everybody was doing their thing, and life was going on as normal, and then all of a sudden, everything disappears, and I'm standing in like an arid, rolling landscape of like dunes, and I see someone standing in a far distance, and so I just start walking towards them, and as I get closer... I notice that I'm, I can see just a tiny bit of their face as they're kind of three-quartering turned away from me. But as I get closer, I notice that it looks like they're moving or like wind's blowing on them. And I keep walking closer and closer, and I see their hair is like crystal. And, but, and I notice that the, it's not wind blowing. It's the very garment, the robe that, that the man is wearing. It keeps changing colors from like just clear to this most intense purple, and it's pulsating. It's like moving, almost like a living organism that he's wearing. And as I get closer, I start to realize it's, it's Jesus, it's the Lord. And I'm seeing this in a dream or a vision, I don't know. And, and as I get closer, I start to realize and feel the power that's surging within him. And I realize, of course, his robe is surging with power. Anything that touched him, how can it not? He's just that power. I mean, he is the force that when he spoke, the sun roared into existence, and he's contained within that. And that energy is just waiting to be directed somewhere. And I'm getting closer, and I'm starting to freak out now because I realize who he is, and I can feel it. And I'm like, of course his robe is pulsating. How could anything that ever touched him not come alive? And all of a sudden, I get, as I get closer, I start going, oh, my gosh, I thought I knew. I had no idea Oh my, I can't even hardly walk now as I'm getting closer. And he just chuckled. And the only thing I heard him say in the dream was this, Roy, who do you think I am? And I said, I thought I knew. I had no idea. (laughs) And that's all I could say. I fell on my face and I just kept saying, I thought I knew. I had no idea. I thought I knew. And all these ideas that I had of who he was were coming up before me. And I realized he's so much better. And I woke up in bed saying out loud, I thought I knew. I had no idea. And that's all I could say over and over and over again. And so we sing that song, it just takes me back to that place of standing in the presence of one who is all-powerful but all-loving. And then to realize that every bit of that energy that surges within him burns for us. And I, I just remember thinking, of course the woman with the issue of blood got healed. She touched him. She reached out and grabbed hold of that pulsing I can't even explain it. It's just, it just, I just, I knew, in it, like it made sense in an instant. Of course she was healed the minute she reached out and grabbed a hold of that thing. How could you ever touch him and not be changed? How could you with faith in your heart purpose to get your hands on that man and grab a hold of that and not be changed? We'll take up the offering. I guess. <laughs> um, I'm just going to pray over it. They're going to pass the baskets and we're going to get into the message. Um, I'm having a hard time standing up up here right now, just being honest. Like, I was just singing and, 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 belie- and, and just, just thinking about him, and I don't know. There's something about, like, Brandon wrote the, the last two songs that we sang, the Ever Aware, and then I Thought I Knew. There's something about, like, those songs that are just birthed from that place of of it's who we are as a people. It's the cry of our hearts. There's something about when we as a corporate body gather together and sing songs that God's pouring out into this house specifically. There's something about that. Um, I mean, all this, it's all amazing. But So God, bless it. Bless the offering, Lord. Uh, more than, than, let it do more than, than we ever could. <laughs> He's just so good. I look out and I see the faces of people who've been touched by his goodness and it just destroys me. Like, I just want everyone to know him that way, to know him the way you could be known because it just changes everything. Like, it's not about, like, being able to argue a theology. It's about knowing him. It's about just loving and being loved by him and being changed by him and understanding that out of that great love, this 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 
Jesus becomes a man, putting aside his deity, not thinking equality with God, something to be grasped for a time, made himself even lower than the angels, becomes a man and walks a perfect life and takes everything I deserved, everything, the shame, the scorn, the wrath, the, the, the penalty of sin, the curse of the law. You realize there's no curse coming to you. If you're born again in Christ, it can't touch you because he became the curse of the law when he hung on a tree for it's written, cursed is every man who hangs upon the tree. You realize it would have to get through Christ to get to you. Picture that man with that robe surging. He said, those who the Father's given me, no one will pluck them from my hand. You picture a curse trying to get past that and you're hidden in Christ. Come on, it can only exist in you if it could exist in him. You have to step outside of who you are and give something away in for it to have a way to touch you because you've been placed in him and he's untouchable. This gospel, I'm telling you, not that I have it all figured out yet and not that I walk in it perfectly, but it makes you untouchable. It does something where it sets you in this place where it's like it doesn't matter. I've got him. I want you to like me. Sure. Do I want things to go well? Absolutely. But am I going to fall apart, give up, and go home if they don't? Not a chance. Not a chance, because where would I go? Where would I turn when I've seen him, the one whose eyes burn like fire, whose heart pounds for me with love? Where would I go? Where would I even want to go? Why? This idea started brewing a while ago, and, uh, and, and then last week I touched on it a little bit, but the idea that, you know, we, we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and it's this idea that when he's our shepherd, that there, it's not to say we won't walk through hard places. It says that we, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for you're with me, but it's the idea that, like, I'm not called to set up camp and live there. And, but there is something I noticed in this. It says, he leads me on the paths of righteousness. We have a tendency, if we're not careful in our own lives or judging other people's lives, to say that if they're walking through something hard, it must be because of sin in their life or sin in someone's life. And it could actually be a righteous path that they're walking, and they just happen to be walking through this thing. He leads me on the path of righteousness, and sometimes that righteous path passes through the valley of the shadow of death. It doesn't mean that something's wrong. It could mean that I'm following the one who's right. Don't beat yourself up and get self-condemning and self-loathing and trying to find something wrong with you because you're going through a hard time. Maybe there's nothing wrong with you. Maybe that you're just walking through something. The, the, the important thing is, is to keep moving and keep walking because Jesus isn't setting up camp to live there. He's just passing through. And so you don't say, well, no, I'm not walking through the valley of the shadow of death. No, I'm walking through it. But guess what? When I look behind me, all I can see is his goodness and mercy. And when I look in front of me, I see his presence and I'm going to dwell in his house forever. So I let what I know to be true and what I've seen ahead of me be the thing that influences me, not the walls of the shadow around me. That's the place that we're called to live in because he's our shepherd and we're following him. It's not to say that, you know, you can't ever go through a hard time because of things you do wrong. Peter talks about that. He says, now, if you're, if you're suffering persecution because you've sinned or you're facing hard times because you've done the wrong thing, don't glory in that. For what glory is there if you face it as a, as a sinner? In other words, if you're doing something wrong and you're not living to, by the word of God and you're reaping the consequences of that, don't take credit in that. Don't take glory in that. Don't, don't, don't say, well, I'm just being persecuted. No, repent and, and follow Jesus. But in following Jesus, you may, on a righteous path, pass through some hard places. It's okay. You're just passing through. You're not going to live there or stay there. If he's not going to make a camp there, you shouldn't either. David says, I walk through the valley, but I dwell in the house. If you're going to dwell somewhere, make it the presence of God. Make it in the house of God. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In other words, what I'm passing through isn't where I'm dwelling. So why dwell on it? I'm, you guys, I'm telling you, <sighs> um, this thing is like fire in my bones. John chapter 5, if you guys turn there, we're going to preach out of there. Because I started thinking about that, and I just started following what Jesus had said. To, next thing you know, I ended up here, and we'll end up there. John chapter 5, verse 1, it says, After these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porticos. 
In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the moving of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring of the water, stepped in, was made well from whatever disease with which he was afflicted. A man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, you wish to get well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your pallet and walk. Immediately, the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. Now it was the Sabbath on that day, so the Jews were saying to the man who was cured, is it, it is the Sabbath and it's not permissible for you to carry your pallet. But he answered them, he who made me well was the one who said to me, pick up your pallet and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, pick up your pallet and walk? But the man who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's alive and it's not words on a page that we read that become knowledge. God, it becomes life to us. That we see, these, this, we see Jesus. We see who you are as we see this, God. And we live our life through the truth that we learn. We allow this truth to destroy anything that's not found in you. I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's Jesus. He's walking along and he comes to this place where there's, this, there's these five porticos and there's this pool there. And an angel would come and stir the water. And after the water was stirred, the first person that got in would be healed. And so there was a lot of lame people and sick people and people that were withered. All these people were there because they all wanted to be the first to get into the water. And, and, and a lot has been made about the fact that Jesus only went up to the one man and you know there was a bunch of people sick there and stuff. Be careful when you hear a story like this and you look for what God didn't do when it's a revelation of who he is and what he did do. This story is not about the fact there were other people there. It's the story about the one, and it's, it's showing the heart of the Father towards him. Because there's plenty of places you can see where it says, and they brought their sick to Jesus, and he healed them all. So if we're going to make a theology, let's make it out of the place where we find that's said more often rather than the one place where we have a question. We'd be, we'd be well to do that just with everything, really. If there's a bunch of places that say one thing, let's not find the one place where we have a question and make our theology hinge on that. Let's let that hinge on what we see revealed in the rest of Jesus' life for everything. It's just good practice. And so, so Jesus is walking, and he sees a man who's been there. And this man, I don't know if Jesus knew he'd been there for 38 years or how long he'd been there, but he said he'd been there a long time. And they had these pallets, these mats that they would sit on, and it kind of held their place, and it was what made them comfortable, and they would, they would stay there. And so Jesus walks up to this man, and he asks him a very interesting question. Like, it's assumed that everybody there probably wants to be well, or they wouldn't be there. Like, if you knew that this place was a pool where when the angel stirred the water, the first person in got healed, you would probably assume that everybody who's there is there because they want to be well. But Jesus comes up to the man and he asks him, do you want to be well? Just because the man is in the place where healing could happen doesn't mean he actually wants to be healed. Just because you're in the room where God's touching people doesn't mean that you actually want to be touched. I'm saying them back then, not now. But just merely being in proximity to the ability doesn't mean that something is going to change unless there's actually a desire in us for something to change. It's the woman with the issue of blood. That there's a crowd of people bumping into Jesus all over. He's walking through a crowded marketplace, and all of a sudden, this lady grabs a hold of him with intention. She grabs a hold of that robe because she had said in her heart, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. And with that intention and with that faith and with that belief, she reaches out and grabs a hold, and Jesus says, who touched me? And his disciples say, how can you ask us who touched you? You're in a crowded marketplace. In other words, who's not touching you? Jesus says, no, but I felt virtue. I felt power flow out of me. Somebody receives something. Just because you, there was a bunch of people there doesn't mean that everybody received the same thing. It was the one who actually went there with intention. 
that receives something. Just because you're in the room doesn't mean you're going to receive unless you actually have intended in your heart that you're here to be changed by God and actually have him change you. Just because you get alone and put worship music on doesn't mean your life's going to change unless you're actually alone to be with him and open yourself up to him and let him come and change you. Other than that, you might just be listening to good music. Make sure when you soak that you open yourself up to the one who wants to come and be with you. Otherwise, it's just, I mean, it's good, it's restful, but it might not change anything. It's actually purposing in your heart that if I can be with him, he'll come and he'll change me. And opening myself up and allowing him to come and change me, that matters. And so this guy's there and, and Jesus walks up to him and he says, do you want to be well? And he answers Jesus with a really telling answer. He says, I have no one to put me into the pool. And other people get past me and get into the pool before I can when the angel comes and stirs water. What's he saying? Do you want to be well? Well, Jesus, let me tell you the reasons that I can't be. It's because what people haven't done or because of what they have done. You realize, like, he doesn't even answer Jesus' question about, is it my desire to be well? Because he's so focused on what people haven't done or what people have done that he's lost sight of the fact that no matter what they've done, there's something in me that needs to be healed and fixed. And his story that he rehearses in his head is not his need for being healed. It's the reasons that he can't because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when he opens his mouth and speaks, what comes pouring out is they don't and they do. 38 years. He's built this case in his head of why he can't be. To the point where the answer is standing in front of him asking him a simple question. Do you want to be well? He didn't say, tell me your reasons you can't be. He didn't say, tell me what people have done, tell me what people haven't done. I'm not saying he doesn't care, but I'm saying in this instance, he doesn't care. Well, how do I know he doesn't care? Because he doesn't do this. Do you want to be well? Well, Jesus, I don't have anyone to put me in the pool. Obviously, what people haven't done is the reason I'm still not well. I mean, there's obviously been plenty of people here who were strong enough to pick me up put me in the, in the pool, and they don't. So that's part of the reason why I can't be, is the lack of people to do things that they should do. You know what Jesus doesn't do? He doesn't sit down next to him, put his arm around him, and tell him, oh, I can see why you'd be bitter about that. How dare these people call themselves Christians? Some of them even say they follow me, and yet they, they would leave you laying there and not pick you up and put you into the pool. I, I'd be pissed too. He doesn't do that. That's how we talk to people. That's how we counsel people. We speak to the reasons why they can't be who God says they are rather than tell them the reasons don't matter because he spoke. And he doesn't come to them and say, all those people stepped over you? Get into the pool? They, are you kidding me? They call themselves Christians? And they stepped over you? I mean, common courtesy. You've been here 38 years. That guy got here two weeks ago. You'd think he'd have the courtesy to say, hey, you've been waiting. It's your turn. 38 years you've been sitting there waiting to be healed. This guy shows up and the next day he steps over you and gets into the pool. What kind of Christian is that? I'd be mad too. He doesn't. He doesn't try to counsel him. I'm not against counseling. I am against counseling, giving people valid reasons to be somewhere that they don't have to be when Jesus has offered a better way. I'm all for I went into counseling recently just to talk through some stuff that, you know, had happened in the past couple of years, and it was great, and it was, it was awesome, and just, she asked a lot of questions, or I talked a lot, and she asked me what was going on, and afterwards she told me things look, seem really healthy. And I was like, well, I think everybody thinks they deal with things in a healthy way. She said, well, you do. And I was like, well, awesome. <laughs> but... But there was, there's that, like, I'm not against counseling. I'm not against someone saying, hey, I don't feel okay. But I am against us creating a theology that allows us to stay somewhere when Jesus has something better standing in front of us. 
He wasn't asking the guy, tell me all the reasons you can't be okay. He was asking the guy one simple question. Do you want to be well? He'd ask us the same thing today. We'd probably give him the same rehearsed answer as to why we can't be. Because you know what we sit around and think about if we're not careful? We sit around and make the most of our story rather than minimizing our story and making the most of him. If you see this message as saying your story doesn't matter rather than his story matters more, something's wrong. Don't look at me with that tone because I'm going to keep going. If you hear a message like this and you think, well, they, they're, just making, they're just making light of my story. No, we're making the most of him. And in the light of his glory and grace, the things of earth seem awfully small and dim. Because otherwise we run the risk of making what people did or didn't do more important than what he's standing in front of us offering. It's just the truth. These stories are in here for a reason. It's not like, you know, there was probably a ton of people that Jesus healed that he asked this question to. It says if if everything he did was recorded, the, the volumes, libraries of the world couldn't hold it all. But why is this one recorded? I think this one's recorded, and I think the Spirit of God moved upon the the disciples to record this story because it's so many of us have this response when Jesus is standing in front of us asking us, hey, do you want to be whole? We lose sight of the fact that he's actually saying there's something in you that is broken that I can fix, and we tell him about what everybody else did or didn't do, and we don't even, even acknowledge the fact that he's standing in front of us offering to fix us. Yeah. I can say that because I don't sit in my room and like, you know, try to think of this stuff or, 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 you know, like that. I just pray and ask the Lord as I'm reading to open things up to me. And then I just share what he gives to me. So when you say that's good, I can agree with that and not be arrogant. It's not mine. (laughs) I begged him when I started preaching. I said, Lord, I will stand on stage and say anything you ask me to say, but don't ever leave me standing up there with my words. And so far he's been faithful. And I like to think I have been. So he answers Jesus And and I wrote this down. I want to read it out. When our focus becomes the reasons that we are not whole and figuring out who to blame, so much so that when someone who genuinely can help is asking us if we want to be well and we turn that into rehearsing why we are not and why we can't be, our focus has long been off of Jesus and long been on our issue. I'm going to read that one more time. Some, I very rarely even, I, I glance at my notes as place markers. I very rarely actually read. But sometimes I, the way I hear something and type it out, I feel like I couldn't do a better job of paraphrasing it. So I'm just going to go ahead and read exactly like I heard it. When our focus becomes the reasons that we are not whole and figuring out who to blame, so that when someone who genuinely can help asking us if we want to be well turns into us rehearsing why we are not and why we can't be, our focus has long been off of Jesus and long been on our issue. He doesn't even mention or acknowledge that he could be whole. Because he's so, so convinced that he knows why he can't be. And if Jesus is like, and listen, it, the Bible says that he's our example in all things. So if that's true, let's let him be our example in all things. What do you do when you're talking to someone? What do I do when we're talking to someone and we say, hey, do you want to get over that? Hey, do you want to be well? Hey, do you want this? And they give us a bunch of reasons why they can't be what we see that Jesus says they can be. We minister to the reasons. We minister to the feelings. And we ignore the fact that those things can't bring them freedom because if they could, they'd already be free. Because I promise you, you're not the first person who's tried to minister to a feeling. You may be the first person who thinks the feeling doesn't have any more power over their life than the word of God. And when he speaks, none of that stuff matters because now that he spoke, there's a grace and an ability upon the person he's speaking to to become and do the thing he's called them to do. So when he says to the man, get up and take up your pallet and walk, the man now has the ability and the grace to do what it is that he's being asked to do where before he didn't. And Jesus doesn't give a flying anything about what people didn't do or what people did do. All he cares about is there's something in you that's broken and I'm here to bring healing. And if you'll do what I ask you to do, 
you'll walk in the fruit of them. Notice that he says to the man, he doesn't pick the man up, he says to the man, get up. If he pulls the man up and that's the only way the man can get up, when the man falls back down, the man has no ability to get back up on his own and he's looking for Jesus to come and lift him up again. And Jesus is trying to tell him, I spoke and when I spoke to you, the ability came upon you. Now you can go in the strength of that word for the rest of your life and every time you fall down, my word is just as valid, just as powerful and just as able as it was the first time I spoke it to you. You don't need to lay there on your mat and wait for somebody else to come and say something or give you a hand. I'm not even going to give you a hand. I'm going to give you the ability so that you can choose into it every single time. He never wants you to be vulnerable laying on the ground and needing someone to come along for you to be okay. Not once he's come. Just think about it. Because if he goes over and picks the man up, every other person watching thinks the ability to be whole is in his ability to be touched by Jesus rather than just to believe what he spoke. Just because someone got touched and their life changed doesn't mean you need to be touched the same way for your life to change. You need to actually believe what he spoke and that will actually change your life if you'll do what he said. You hear what he said and you respond by doing what he's called you to do and suddenly things change. And the truth of the matter is, is people may still not and people may still will, but you'll be so far ahead walking you won't even care. What does a man who's long ahead care about the fact that no one would put him into the pool? What does that have anything to do now that truth has come? Why would he look back and be angry at those people now that he can walk? But he has to answer this question first. Oh, a little side note here. I thought about this. You notice that Jesus isn't at all interested in making the man more comfortable on his mat? Think about it. Jesus probably could make the most incredible. He's a carpenter, and he's anointed by God. He probably can make the most incredible pallet that you've ever seen that is the most comfortable place for someone to sit. He has no interest in making the man comfortable there. He wants the man to leave that place and to go where he's calling him to. He's not so concerned about your comfort. He's really concerned about you following him. If you make life about him making you comfortable, you may not be able to follow him when it's uncomfortable. I'm telling you guys, listen, I've stayed up. I was last night, I was tossing with this message because he puts these things in my heart. And it's like, I I feel like sometimes I want to go out into the living room and preach to the television or just like go go to Waffle House like three in the morning because you know there's people there and like just preach the message to them. It's like fire shut up in you because you know why? It will change you if you will actually take this word and let this word be the thing that you believe over everything else. I can prove it because of what happened to the man. But at some point he has to answer the question, do I actually want to be better? Because here's the thing. Once he says yes and Jesus says, okay, get up and walk, he now has a responsibility to respond to what's been spoke. With the grace and the ability also comes the responsibility to walk in what he spoke to us. And so Jesus is asking him, hey, make sure this is what you want. Because the minute you say yes and I heal you, you're going to have to leave everything behind that you've known for 38 years. Your identity may be tied up in being a poor person that lays on a mat and gets sympathy from everybody, and you're no longer going to get everyone's sympathy, and you're going to have to go get a job and support yourself because you can't live on the charity of others. Are you sure that's what you want? Make sure that's what you want. Make sure you're ready to leave behind where you are to go where I'm calling you. Because we all say, yeah, I want that. But here's the truth. Sometimes we kind of like that. Sometimes we kind of like that we have an excuse for everything and we can just stay the same. Sometimes we kind of like that we're the biggest victim in every room. I'm telling you, <laughs> you might as well just put your feet up on your, on your chairs because I'm going to keep stepping on toes because he stomps on mine. You're going to have to give that up. And that's why Jesus asks him, is this really what you want? It seems like a rhetorical question. It's not. Because the way that we respond dictates the way that he responds. 
And once he responds to us, there's a responsibility that comes in our life to actually get up. Get up. Jesus, what do you mean? You're telling a guy sincere for 38 years, just get up. You think it's that simple? What you don't understand is every time Jesus has said get up, the ability's already been there. Dude, that's so insensitive. Is it? Or does he care more about the next 38 than the last 38? Maybe he's more sensitive than you realize and his heart breaks because you've given that much of your life to laying on a mat. And he can't bear the thought of you staying there any longer. So rather than sit down next to you and let you spend another minute on your mat, he just says, dude, get up. Grab that thing. That was his placeholder. That was the thing that, that gave him a, access to that spot. It's probably close to the pool. I imagine like as people got healed, people kind of inched their way closer to the pool. You know, after 38 years, he's probably pretty close. That's a good spot to give up. Some people have become really good victims after doing it for so long, and they don't want to give up that spot because people have pity for them. Yeah. This guy's right up front where everybody has to see. And you know what everybody does that comes by and sees him laying there? Holy smokes. That guy's been there for 35 years. Are you serious? You'd think one of these Christians, not, not us, but one of these Christians around here would pick him up and put him into the well. All of a sudden the water stirs. Someone steps over him into the well. He's just dragging himself to the place of getting in. And, and John Chickenpox, that's only been there for three days... Because everybody's, listen, everybody's affliction is the worst because it's theirs. John Chickenpox just steps right over him into the pool. I'm healed! And the people are going, I mean, how could he call himself a Christian? Doesn't he know that that guy's been there for 35 years? Well, we should do something for him. You got any money? Yeah. All right, give him some money. Let's get out of here. And he gets the pity and he gets the sympathy of everybody. And pretty soon, everybody knows him as the victim because everybody that comes... You think Jesus is the first person he's told that story to? <laughs> you think Jesus is the first person he's told the reason I'm not okay is because of what they didn't do or because of what they did do? No, I promise you, he's rehearsed and told that story over and over and over and over again. And he's been building that case against everybody for 38 years. Why? Because he didn't even have to think when Jesus asked him, do you want to be well? He answers a question with an with a answer that's not even related to the question. Meaning what? That was always on the tip of his tongue. He was always ready to re rehearse the reason he wasn't okay. I promise Jesus wasn't the first person he told that to. And Jesus is telling him, listen, you're going to have to give that up. You're going to have to leave that behind. Because when I speak, the ability is already there. Get up. Grab that thing that allows you to stay there. And carry it with you and go. And the man doesn't even know it's Jesus. But there's something in his voice. There's something in his heart. And something changes when he hears Jesus speak. And he gets up. He grabs his mat. And he goes. Look what happens next. I'm telling you, this stuff is so in here for such a reason. So the Jews were saying to the man who was cured, it is the Sabbath. It is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. But he answered them, he who made me well was the one who said pick, to me, pick up your pallet and walk. He runs into the religious rulers of the day, and they're more concerned that he's not following their system than the fact that he's actually set free. How hard does your heart have to be where you see someone who for 38 years was crippled walking and the first thing you can think of is they shouldn't be doing that because it violates your system? I mean, just think about that. This is, they don't say to him, whoa, that's amazing, you're walking. They don't, they don't dance with him. They don't rejoice with him. They don't shout with him. They don't ask him how he got that way. The first thing that comes out of the, their, mouth, their mouth is this. You're doing something that in our system we say you shouldn't be doing. 
And rather than asking him how he was set free, they wanted to put him back into the bondage of the system that they created. Why? Nobody wants you set free unless you do it the way they say it can be done. I'm not saying nobody. There, hopefully there's a bunch of people following Jesus that want you to see you be set free by following and believing the words that Jesus spoke. I can say for, for us, I, to the best that I know, we believe that, that if you follow the words Jesus spoke, there's freedom because who the Son set free is free indeed. And there's not a bunch of systems put in place and hoops that you have to jump through in order for you to get free. It's as simple as this. He spoke, I responded, and I walked. And even if I don't have it all figured out, that's okay because I'm following the one who does. I can prove he didn't have his theology figured out because he said, I don't even know who the man was. Yeah. <laughs> Is it safe to say at this point, he doesn't have his theology buttoned down tightly? Yeah. It's okay if at some point in your life people who are bound in a system come to you and start telling you why you can't be free and you just look at them and say, dude, I don't know what to tell you. Your stats and, well, you know, you can't just say that because this and so many percent and these people do this and this percentage of people, if they don't do this, they get here and they stay there. And we have all these stats, we have all these figures, we have all these reasons why what Jesus said couldn't be true. And this dude looks at him and says, I don't know what to tell you. I don't even know his name. I just know this. He told me to do it and I did it. And guess what? I'm walking and I'm not going back. You guys can argue amongst yourselves. You guys can build your system, and you guys can have that. I'm going after him. Be real careful that you don't build a system of believing that would be more worried about the way someone's doing it than the what that they're doing, when the what that they're doing looks like walking after Jesus in freedom. When 38 years is healed in an instant, everybody should celebrate. Nobody should be trying to find the reason they can't. Nobody. And here's the thing. Jesus was perfectly okay with the guy not having everything figured out. He came and found him. Where was he? He didn't go find him at the pool. Why? Because he expected when he told the man to get up and walk, the man would get up and walk. So why would he go look for him at the place that he was? You know why I think it's in there? It shows that Jesus found him at the temple. I think it's to show us this. When Jesus says something, just go. He'll find you. And he doesn't expect you to be where he told you to leave. He actually expects you to be somewhere else. And isn't it amazing that the place that he finds the man is actually in the house of God? What's he saying? When I set you free, you're free. I'll come and fill you in on the details. I'll come and tell you the more things that you need to know. You can find a family of God somewhere. You can get plugged in. You can be surrounded by people, and they'll teach you things that you don't know, and you'll learn and you'll grow. But the most important thing is my sheep hear my voice, know my voice, and the voice of a stranger, they won't follow. But mine, oh, they'll follow it. But guess what it took? It took the man letting the words of Jesus be more important than the inability or the ability of people to not do or to do things to keep him from it. It meant for the rest of his life, he had to give up the right to let any of those things be more important or speak louder than the voice of truth. That's what it cost him. Why, why, like, let me ask you this. When there's freedom offered, why would you want to stay there? Like, literally, why would you choose when you could live by faith and believe what he said and just start walking, even if you don't have it all figured out? Even if it doesn't all make sense, if this man Jesus says, get up and take up your mat and walk, why wouldn't you just do that and leave that stuff behind and trust that he'll sort that stuff out? My, my responsibility is not to have an answer for all this. My responsibility is to say yes to that. Why wouldn't you want to live there? What's back there for you? What's 38 years of routine and comfort? It's 38 years of identity. 38 years of having an excuse. It's 38 years of having a reason on the tip of your tongue when Jesus is asking a question why what he's saying isn't possible. You notice that it wasn't so much that it was Jesus that said it, that he had to believe. Like, in other words, he didn't know it was Jesus speaking. It was whose words they were, not his ability to know who was speaking when you speak the word of God to somebody, it's not about you. It's about them believing God's word that actually matters and brings freedom. His word's just as powerful on your lips. Why? Because it's his word that matters, not the lips it's coming through. 
I remember that thing Patty told me a long time ago. We were talking about wisdom crying out in the streets, and she said, you know, we can, we can pray and we can ask God for wisdom, and he will give it, but we don't get to tell him who it comes through. Our responsibility is to receive it when it comes and not try to find reasons why it can't be true. I know. I know. So then Jesus finds him. It says, afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. And I think when we hear this, it's natural that we think like physical illness worse than what you had before will come upon you. But I don't, I'm not sure that's exactly what Jesus meant. Um, I think maybe what Jesus was saying is this. Now that you've been made well, if you don't actually live differently, you'll be in a worse condition than you were before. Because before you were ignorant to truth, now you're choosing to willfully disobey it. That's why he asked him, do you want to be well? Because in say, in, when, when he asked him, do you want to be well? And something in the man's heart said, yes, I did, even though he gave all these reasons. You know what's so beautiful about Jesus? He steps right through the excuses and gives the man the answer he's looking for. But along with that answer comes a responsibility to continue to live in the light of the truth that's come. And I think what Jesus was saying to him was this. Listen, it, would be, it was better for you before you knew what was available than it is for you now that you know what's available if you turn around and go back to living the way that you were. Because before, you were perishing for a lack of knowledge, but now you're being destroyed because you've rejected the knowledge that has come. Re, oh, turn to Hosea real quick. Hosea um, chapter 4, verse 6. I'll show you that you can see God saying something like this about how much it bothered him when the truth, when knowledge came and was rejected. He says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you from being my priest. Since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. Okay, listen, like, yes, we live in a new covenant. Thank goodness for grace and all that stuff. But I am saying the heart of God was this. He doesn't say, because my people have a lack of knowledge, I'm going to do these things. He says, my people are being destroyed for a lack of knowledge. But because you, you the priest, because you knew and you've rejected what's come, that's a way harsher thing than the people who actually just don't know. There's a responsibility that comes with it. The responsibility is now that truth has come, I lack the opportunity and I lack the ability to turn my back on truth and go back to living the way that I was before it came because now it's costing me because now I know and now I'm held accountable for the truth that I know. I think that's what he was saying. Not like, you know, if you lie, you're going to end up crippled. I don't think that's what it was. I think he was saying, see that you don't sin. What, Tom, I think, preached a message on this and talked about a bunch of other things that I didn't. Um, but one of the things he talked about was the fact that the man was still carrying his mat when he saw him in the temple. In other words, he's still carrying around the ability to go and beg and make his living and be identified by that thing. And I think what Jesus was saying to him is, hey, the ability to do that is still right there. Make sure you don't return to that thing. Some of us maybe need to burn our mats. Some of us maybe need to set a bonfire to that thing and burn that mat so that we actually rid ourselves of the ability and in our minds say, there's no place for me to go back because I've already, I've already turned my back and I've burned the ability to go back. It's not an option for me anymore. From now on, I'm living forward. I can't go back. Why would I want to? <sighs> Contrast that real quick. I'll just close up with this. You, you, you guys see that Jesus doesn't rebuke the man for, for the fact that he's been there for 38 years? Like, it's, it's, not, you're not, it's not, Jesus isn't shaming, and I'm certainly not trying to shame or scold somebody if they're in a place like this. He doesn't say to him, I can't believe you've been here for 38 years. What's your problem? No, he just looks at him and has compassion on him and says, oh my goodness, 38 years of your life have been given to this thing. I don't want you to stay there another day. It's okay to say I don't feel like things are okay, but it's not okay to come up with a theology that allows me to stay there. It's okay to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but you start wanting to look for comfortable places to pitch your tent and Jesus might have something to say. Because he's not staying there. And you're supposed to be following him. Why? Because he said, didn't you know I would be in my father's house? Whereas David say he's going to dwell all the days of his life 
in the house of the Lord. Contrast that with the centurion. The centurion comes and finds Jesus. He's got a servant that's sick, and he says, if you could just come and, and heal my servant, and Jesus says, I'll come with you. And the, and the centurion, or he says, my, my servant's sick, and Jesus says, I'll come to your house. What's Jesus doing, in a sense? He's giving the centurion an excuse for the sickness to stay in his home for a little while longer while they travel from where Jesus is to the Roman centurion's house. The centurion says to him, you don't even need to come. You just speak, and my servant will be healed. For I, too, am a man under authority, and I understand. I say, go to this one, and he goes. I say, come to this one, and he comes. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, I don't even want to wait and take an excuse that's offered to have this sickness in my home for one more day. If you're here and you can speak the words, then you just speak the words, because I'm here to see people set free, not to find a reason that I can be not okay even for one more day. And Jesus gets excited by this. He says, greater faith have I not seen in all of Israel. What's he excited about? He's excited about the fact that the man believes that Jesus is able and that there's nothing that can stop him once he speaks those words. He gets excited about that. He's not looking for people who can come up with excuses. He doesn't want to play chess with you. He doesn't want to sit and talk to you about why people didn't, why people should, and all that stuff. If you want to talk to him about that, he'll listen for a time. But I would imagine it's probably going to be a lot like the man with the thing. Okay, all right, well, here's the deal. I heard what you said about these people not doing what they should, and I heard you say about these people who did what they shouldn't. I heard that stuff, but here's the simple truth. If you want to, get up and walk. You could sit there and let those people be the reason you're not okay for as long as you want, or you could get up and walk and actually be free. Sometimes it's just that simple. Sometimes it takes faith to believe that you actually could get up and walk and that those things that have held you and kept you from being who he called you to be are not going to keep you when you stand up to walk. That's okay. You're called to live by faith. Once he speaks, though, the grace is there. The ability is there. But you still have to actually get up and go and follow him. God, I just... Is there, like, is, as I'm speaking this, I didn't do this for a service, but I feel like we need to do this. Is, as I'm speaking this, like, is there anybody that if Jesus was to walk up to you right now and look at the very thing that's keeping you where you are, whatever it is, doesn't matter. And he was to ask you, do you want to be well? Is there anyone here who the first thing that pops into your mind is all the reasons you can't, especially because of what people have done, that they shouldn't? or didn't do that they should? Is there anybody here who would respond with that before they would say yes? That's true. Just Yeah, you can just stand up right where you are. And thanks for being bold enough to say that. If you raise your hand, just stand up. Yeah, because we're going to pray with you and believe that that ends today because truth has come. Yeah. Anybody else? Yeah, there's more than three. Come on. <laughs> yep. Just stand up where you are. It's okay. We're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to make you have to tell everybody what. It doesn't even matter because here's the truth. Whatever it is, is not as great as him. And here's the truth. I'm going to guess that every one of you that's standing up has already told that story to enough people anyway. If that telling that story was going to make you free, you'd be the freest bird in the atrium. It didn't, though, did it? No, it just gave you a reason to not be free. You could have a ton of reasons to not be free. I've got one that you can. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And he said he came to set the captives free. And I just want to say this for you guys who are standing up. I'm sorry for what the people didn't do that they should have. That's not to say that somebody shouldn't have helped that poor guy. I mean, hopefully if all of one of us were sitting there, we'd see this guy has been there forever, and we'd pick him up and throw him into the pool because we want to see him be healed. I'm not excusing that. And I'm not excusing the people who stepped over you to get to where they wanted to be at your expense. I'm not saying that that was okay. Hopefully, if we were there, we'd say, hey, you've been here way longer than me. You go. Because we lay down our lives for others, and we don't prefer ourselves above other people. So I'm sorry that people didn't, and I'm sorry that people did. But I'm thankful more than I am sorry that Jesus did what he did and said what he said.
and that he said you could actually be free. Yeah, so would you guys just, if you see someone standing up, church, just put, your, put a hand on them if that's okay with you, you know, make sure they're all right with that, because some people get weirded out. We don't want that to happen. Just put your hand on someone. If they're, if they're sta- yeah, stand up. If you were standing up, it's okay. I promise. Like I said, it's not going to be embarrassing. We're just going to pray and believe right now that what Jesus did for you is greater than what anyone did or didn't do to you. What Jesus did for you is greater than what anyone did or didn't do to you. And the enemy has had enough of your days, enough of your minutes, enough of your hours, enough of your weeks and years. And Jesus is coming and saying, listen, you can be free. You can actually come to a place where in your heart, you allow him to change your heart, where you see them with the compassion of God and you realize, forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. They didn't know. They weren't trying to hurt you. They just were living at their own expense. Maybe they were trying to hurt you. If they knew who they were, they wouldn't want to hurt you. They'd want to love you. They were broken vessels. They needed to be healed by him more than you, as much as you need to be healed by him. And so you were trying to get something from them that they weren't capable of giving because they hadn't received from him what he's capable of giving. Don't let that be a reason that you lose another day, another minute. Don't let that be a reason that you stay one more day in that place when Jesus is calling and saying, you can be free. Pick up your mat and follow. And whatever it is you're dealing with, I don't know what it is, and, and I don't need to know. If you want to talk to the people that are praying for you when the service ends, they'll be happy to talk with you about it. Our prayer team will be up front. They'll pray with you specifically. But I am saying there's a promise of Jesus in his word that speaks to whatever it is you're dealing with, and I don't even know what it is, but I know he spoke to it. And I know there's a promise that's greater than the hurt. I know there's a promise that's greater than the pain. And I know that if you ask him, he'll come and he'll set you free. So Father, in Jesus' name, we just proclaim that who you have set free is free indeed. And so I just want you to ask yourselves this question right now. Everyone of you that's standing up, do you want to be well? Do you actually want to leave that thing behind and never let that be the thing that comes out of your mouth when you begin to speak? And not that you have everything figured out, not that your theology is perfect in this, but you know one thing. Jesus said, I can be free. I'm not giving another day of my life to this thing. Not when he said I could be free. If that's true and you want to be free, then in Jesus' name, who Jesus Christ has set free is free indeed. And take up your mat and walk. Father, we're so thankful for the gospel. It's the gospel, like it is the message of good news of Jesus Christ that says he came to set captives free, to give sight to the blind. He came to, to, to destroy the work of the enemy, to see hell emptied and to see heaven filled. That's why he came. That's why we're alive. And so if he's our example in all things, then we should probably ask ourselves, when we're talking to people, do we follow the example of Jesus? Listen, you want to know the height of arrogance? The height of arrogance is to say, if Jesus knew what we knew, he would have done things differently. Be careful when you start telling people they need to do things that Jesus never said they needed to do to be free. Because what you're saying without saying it is, if Jesus knew what I knew, he'd have done what I do. No, if you knew what he knew, you'd do what he did. So in all our knowing, let's know that. Let's know him. Let's know truth. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.